0: Well, good morning. So do you guys say Pastor Austin or Austin or Pastor Russ? What's the culture here on that? Pastor Austin or just Austin? Okay, I'm getting conflicting messages. We're in a series called Community. Come on. <laughs> help me out here. Is it? I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I just can't. Sorry, it's Pastor. So... Uh... It's, you know, we've only been here since uh, me and my family, we moved here not too long ago. Um, oh, we've been here a year and a few months, I think, and, uh, but we only started uh, attending here uh, at the end of, I don't know, April, May sometime, and so we've not had the opportunity, and we go to the earliest service because we're good Christians, and, and so, no, I'm just kidding, we're just committed, that's all. Wait, what, no, let's start over, Hi. Uh, my name is Dan, it's nice to meet you, um, and I greatly respect you uh, second service attenders. Um, yeah, so I met Pastor Russ, as he said, in the, in the uh, lobby, and it was, it was a great, it was like, he's really good at those first connections, you know, I was like, man, you are good at this, I mean, I, I feel, I just feel good, you know, <laughs> I feel just loved and connected, you know, so, um, but it was really cool when he, when he uh, contacted me and we, we had lunch together, and, and then he you know he was like, "Hey, why don't you you interested in preaching?" And I said, "Well, it's been a while, but uh, man i'd love to you know and, and so this is a great honor and uh, I just w- I want to make sure that I just say this from the get go that uh, thank you to Pastor Russ, who's not here, so in jesus name uh, <laughs> but uh thank you to uh, this body uh, for service and 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 hopefully you guys too at some point, but just ex- so warm and accepting, and uh, it's, been, it's been really great to be here thus far. Uh, a little bit about myself, since my best friend, Pastor Austin, doesn't know much about me, to be honest. Um, my family and I uh, made up of five people, including myself, so my wife Erin, who's here this morning, and she's awesome and amazing, uh, but, um, and then I have three children, Uh, Ransom, who's 11, Uh, he'll be turning 17 in November, which is fun, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and he, I'm, actually, I am, I'm very proud of the man he's becoming, and it's fun, at 12, and I have to remind him of that. Um, My daughter, who's 10, uh, her name's Mercy, and she's the cutest thing ever, and I meant to have a picture for you guys, but uh, um, I just didn't make the time for it, to be honest with you, i am just throw it out there, Uh, but I do treat this very seriously, this is a pulpit, this music stand. So, all right, and then I have a, a son named Liam, who's eight, and he's 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 really the cutest. Don't tell my oldest son that, but he is a he's cute. You know what I mean? My my oldest son is smart, <laughs> you know, in all the ways that that word really works. So, uh, I better move on. My wife has given me the look, like don't be talking about our family like that. You know, no, they're uh, no, honestly, they are a joy. As, as those of you with kids know. So um, I've had the honor of ministering in various pastoral roles since about 2002. And so, um, what is that, some t- 20 years, I think. And, and it's, it's been wonderful. It's been joy. I've taken a break the last couple of years as I'm continuing pursuing a master in theology and just seeking the Lord on what does is, what is pastoring look like next. Um, and until uh, the Lord makes that clear, uh, we're really excited about plugging in here, into this community. So uh, I felt called to ministry when I was 14. Uh, I was at a small uh, Assemblies of God camp in Washington. So yes, very Pentecostal. Um, and uh, I mean, even crazy for me sometimes, but I loved it. And, uh, and I'm still, I still claim Pentecostal, you know, background and all that. Uh, just not a good one, I guess, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, that was in Washington State, and it, it was really it was really wonderful. I've been pursuing uh, the Lord since that time. I uh, went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, got a New Testament degree, and man, jumped right into ministry uh, outside of college. So, landed in Colorado Springs. Yeah, it was, it's an amazing place. Has, has anybody been there? No? Okay, yeah, the same person. Yeah! All right, four people! So wonderful. Um, you know, every time I tell people we're from Colorado Springs and we just moved here, the, the say, it's the same question every time. My neighbors, uh, even Pastor Russ, I mean, everybody. And I'm like, you, you just moved here, bro. You know, um, you know, it, it's like November, right? I mean, he just started here like last November. So, uh, But he's like, why? Why did you move here? I said, and I, we always, the answer is the same. My wife's from this area, uh, so her family's here. Um, all her family is really close to this area, and uh, her parents live in Prosperity. He's a Methodist minister there, and so we wanted to be close to family, especially in in uh, this, the COVID era. Um, you know, we just realized how important family was, and and we were very close to people. Don't and don't misunderstand my resigning from the church in in Colorado. I was there for fourteen years, so deep ties. It was a it was a great it was a good parting, there was nothing, you know, anger or anything like that, it just, I don't know, you're seeking the Lord in those moments, and all of a sudden says, the Lord says something different, you should go, okay, I'm going to take a step of faith here, you know, and uh, but we just, our children needed the voice of their grandparents, and we just realized how important family was, and so we moved here. Um, Now, after last August, though, uh, I usually respond with, that's a good question, because it is hot uh, here um, yeah, so anyways, uh, I, uh, I grew up as an Army army brat. I moved every three years, um, and uh, that's a lot of moving, you know. Uh, my dad is from Alabama. He got into the Army, met my mom in, in Korea, so I'm half Korean, uh, and then came back not North Korean. I don't know why, but I get that question a lot. North Korea? I'm like, it. I'm not sure you've heard, but North Korea is crazy, okay? It's like, I, I mean, they are socialist dictatorship. They're not letting people go on vacation to America, okay? So, you know, so you know, so anyhow, South Korea, you know, here's the thing about it, and I love that my mom's from South Korea. I love that my dad's from Alabama, which, listen, I know that South Carolina's south, but Alabama is south, you follow me? Okay, so it's, it's very south. They're, they're actually just east of Mobile in a small town. So um, I don't know if you can go more south than that without getting wet. So that's where they're at. And uh, I love that because my, my in-laws and the extended family, my, my wife's aunts and uncles and cousins, they all know me as the northerner. And I get it. I was from Washington. I, I sound very north. Um, and, you know, and, but here's the thing. I always tell them, I'm like, listen, my dad's, from Al- My dad's from Alabama. My mom's from South Korea. So I may be half white, I may be half Korean, but I'm all Southern. I mean, think about it. Am I right? I mean, on both sides, I got Southern just all, all up in this right here. Okay, so you guys can just back off the judgment, okay? I'm just getting that out now. I can feel it, right? I just... No, I'm just kidding. We better move on, right? This is a sermon, not stand-up, and I'm not really good at it, uh, so we're going to move on. Um, yeah, so that all being said, uh, there's one thing I, I do want to, to dive into. Um, my in-law, father-in-law, I've mentioned this, he's, he's a pastor. been a pastor his whole career, so many years, lots of wisdom. When I moved here and he heard I was going to speak, he said, here's what you do. Son, here's what you do. You got to find out the majority fan base. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? Honestly, I was like, I'm sorry. You're going to have to interpret that South Carolinian to me. I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. And he said, "Well, you're just going are, are you are you a Gamecocks fan? Or are you a Clemson fan?" And I said, "Well, what are you?" And he said, "Oh, it depends on what church I'm preaching at." I said, that's, that's unfaithful. You can't, you're a pastor. You can't do that. So do I have any Gamecock fans in the house this morning? Okay. All right. All right. I see a Clemson shirt, I think. So are there Clemson fans with this lonely person here? Okay. All right. Good. Well, since we're talking about community this morning, I'll just start with a rebuke. Uh, You listen, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, asked the, I asked the worship team before first service. I said, well, tell me about the Gamecocks-Clemson thing. And, and they're like, this, this is their words, not mine. This is a house divided. <laughs> and I was like, and Pastor Russ asked me to speak on community? <laughs> okay, great. Well, let's just move into this. Um, no, it's fine. You guys like your team. I always, I just go. It's the same. The same thing happens with my, my family from Alabama. Auburn? Alabama. And I just say, NFL. <laughs> That's my response. And being from Washington, I'm, I'm a huge Seahawks fan. Before they were good, and now that they're not good. Because <laughs> if you don't know the NFL landscape, it is a pitiful se- I got weeping and gnashing of teeth for me this year. So if you see me weeping in church, you know. Yeah, they are terrible this year. Pete Carroll. Okay, let's move on. Um, what I'd like to do this morning and jumping into the text, that's the intro to me. I've got two more intros, and then we'll get into the words. So, all right. But Pastor, listen, I asked three times, what, what's the target time to wrap things up, you know? And he goes... There isn't one. I said, I'm sorry, is this, this is a Pentecostal church or, because I don't, I'm not, you know, and they said, yeah, this, this, whatever you want. So I only have maybe five hours, so it'll be a short, it'll be a, it'll be a short sermon. Don't worry. What I want to do to get started is I'm going to have, I'm going to have you stand to your feet. What I'd like to do is I like to honor the word of the Lord. We're going to read the primary text together, standing in honor of the Lord, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right into the word. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Acts. I say that out of habit because nowadays it's all phones. And even more, Pastor Russ has this awesome, I call it the pulpit television. I think this is really sweet. I've never preached with one of these, but I like it. Um, So if you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. The Lord loves you. All right, let's read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, verse 1. Let me take a drink. All right. Starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg From those going into the temple courts, verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. I think that's really interesting. I want you guys to hold on to that this morning as we go through the sermon. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. You guys remember the song? Silver and gold... Have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising the Lord. When all the people saw him walking and praising, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement and what happened to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning, and we ask that you would just anoint this word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our ears, you would open my ears to your voice. And, God, if there's any word that is mine and of me and of the flesh, God, I just pray, let that fall to the ground powerless. But, Lord, any word that's of you that's spoken this morning, I, God, I just pray it pierces hearts. It divides soul from spirit, bone from marrow. And, God, I pray that it will transform us so that we might become all that you've called us to be, that you've created us to be. Can we agree together in Jesus' name? Amen. We're in the midst of a series called Uncommon Community. And I love this topic, honestly, because community, for many pastors, I have friends who hate talking about community because it's fraught with danger because people have been hurt by the church. And I think it's important as a pastor and as, as leaders in the church, to not shy away from this truth. It's important for us to recognize that people have been hurt. And you want to know the truth. I, as a pastor, have been wounded deeply by the church. And that pain it can be very real. The church is meant to be a place of forgiveness and acceptance, and yet people can experience rejection and judgment. It can be, you know, we think about church and we think it's supposed to be a place of inclusion, but really, it's division. And I think it's important, and I'm just going to take just a minute here to speak to those of you who've been hurt by the church and to say, number one, I'm so sorry that it happened. If you've never heard it from the pulpit, you should, and you are. And honestly, I can give a lot of reasons to why it happens. But in the end, I don't think that's what's really important. I think what's important is that we start moving in the direction of God's vision for his body. Can I get an amen this morning? I empower you to just preach this morning as much as I'm preaching. If you can preach back at me, I'll feel at home. That's the Pentecostal way. So if you have an amen just burning in your heart, you hear something good, what do you say? Amen. Oh, that's good. I like it. Or I, I've, personal favorites include, come on. I like that one. Okay. I like it. So can, can, there you go. Preach. I like that. You, you know, you think it's fun. Now, here's the thing. It is fun. I w- it is fun. Um, I had one church where they would throw shoes. Now I'm not. I would ask that that does not happen. Um, I don't want that up here with me while I'm trying to preach. Okay. I don't know where that's been. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. So, but but what I am going to say is, listen. There is actually real reason for it. When you say amen, you know what it does? It pulls on something in me, so that the sermon is less a presentation and more a partnership. And I think as Christians, we should always be suspicious of any theology or teaching that demeans partnership and community. If, moving on, I've got a lot here. When we say that we are Christians... I want to start this sermon by telling you this one fundamental, essential truth about Christianity. When you say that you're a Christian, what you're actually saying is, I am in a community. The nature of Christianity is community. It's first community, which takes into consideration that we are individuals. And here's why I say this, because it is my firm belief that when God saved us from sin, he saved us into something else. So that when we become Christians, we're not just saved from, we're saved into. So yes, we're saved from our sins, but I'm saved into the righteousness of Christ. Yes, I'm saved from death. Amen. Who wants to be saved from death? We all want to be saved from death. And not just physical death. But the death that we experience every day in relationships, finances, things that don't go our way or an unexpected tragedy or expectations that were not met, we experience this kind of death every day. But, But thanks be to God, he saves us. Can I get an amen on that? Now, here's the thing. When, when he saves us from death, he saves us into his life. He saves us into the Christ of life, which is the body. If I am an individual pursuing Christ and you're an individual pursuing Christ, guess what? We're coming together. And there's no way out of it. Now, this is not just me telling you my opinion. If we look in Matthew... I think I've lost my place already. If we look in Matthew, it says this. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it starts. And, we, and many of us have heard this story. You know, it's, you know the, the law, the, the expert in the law wants to capture Jesus, and, and he wants to be able to accuse him and make judgments. And basically, they want to dethrone Jesus from any type of authority. Right, He's speaking with authority. People are like, what is this new teaching? It has authority. Even people are being healed. Demons listen to him. It has authority. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to take that authority away. They wanted to discredit his ministry. And so they say, what's the greatest law and the commandment? If You know, teach us. And Jesus responded and he says, okay, listen. In verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And I love this. Verse 38, he, Jesus goes on and he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And what's interesting to me about this story is when the expert in the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they came to Jesus to trap him, they didn't ask about a second law. They didn't ask, They just, what's the greatest law? And Jesus gives them the greatest and the second. The second one's, I love this, it's just like it. That should clue you into this. The reason he gave the second when they asked for the first is because you can't do the first without the second. Those two, I love this, are integrated. Those two are inextricably intertwined, they cannot be separated. If we're loving God, then I can tell you this, church, that you are loving people. And if you are loving people, then you are loving God. That's why it's like the first. It's communal. And I think this is why, you know, I think this is why Pastor Russ said last week, and we can put this on the screen, our belief, is that, do you guys have that or no? Our belief is that, there it is, our belief is that if you are going to grow spiritually between now and the end of the year, how many of you want to grow spiritually in the end of the year? And what I, you know, honestly, I just take spiritual out and I would just say, who wants to grow in Christ? Because that affects spiritual and material. But we want to grow between now and the end of the year. It's going to require, in some part, God's work through a group of people who will encourage, galvanize, spur, and walk alongside you in the days to come. And here's here's where it connects with what I'm saying about the nature of Christianity. If the nature of Christianity is communal, then if you're going to grow and mature in your Christian faith, it requires participation in that community, community. Okay, so for example... If you're a football player, do I have any football players in the house this morning? Have you ever played football? Anybody? Come on, you can raise your hand. I didn't, I didn't say if you were old. <laughs> Listen, you can, if you don't play on a football team, you can't really say you're a football player because we all recognize that football is a team sport. It's a team sport. It's the nature of it. So if you're a football player, that means you're on a team somewhere. And if I'm gonna if I'm gonna grow in playing football, I gotta practice with the team. Now, now, but here's the thing: can you get better at football on your own? Yeah, absolutely. There's there are exercises, you can do squats and bench press. I mean, you there's so much sprints, cone drills. You want to juke people, you gotta get out there. If you're a you gotta start hitting the pads. I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? Am I right or am I wrong? But listen, let me tell you something. If you go out onto the field on game day without your team, you will lose. I don't care how tall and strong you are. I don't care how fast you are. You will lose. And, and, and you know, here's, here's the thing. You should be practicing on your own, but you need to go to team practice. Because if you don't know the plays, sorry, it doesn't matter how good you are. Because the nature, you win as a team. And Christianity is the same. Yes, we grow in our personal devotions. Yes, there's an individual aspect to the gospel. Isn't it beautiful how God loves us and knows us by name? But in the same breath that he knows our name, he knows your name. And so that means he knows our name. Last week, Pastor Russ jumped into Acts chapter 2, which is my, I was like, I'm Pentecostal. Why didn't you let me preach chapter 2? You take the chapter 3, you know? No, I didn't say that to him. I just said, thank you, sir. That's what I said. But in Acts chapter 2, a lot of scholars, and, and I, I get it. I'm a big nerd. I love theology. I do. I love it. I just, tell me all the nerdy stuff about it because I'll eat it up. But one of the things that, came, that sprung up off the pages of, of this commentary was that many scholars look at what happens in Acts. So, you know, there's all these people from different parts of the world there. They speak all these different languages. The power of Jesus, uh, the power of the Spirit is poured out upon them. They start speaking in tongues. The miracle is they can all understand. And then 3,000 people, they're all, and, and really they call it the, the incorporation of the church. It's the, it's the moment that the church was birthed. Now here's the thing, scholars believe that this is a reversal of what, of the curse that we see in Babel, the Tower of Babel. So all the people there were on the same page together, speaking the same language, they all knew what they were doing, and this is what they wanted to do in Genesis, they wanted to build a city and build a tower, and they said, let's make a name for ourselves. Well, in the scriptures, the name of God holds great power. And so by saying let's build a tower to heaven and let's make a name for ourselves where the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, let's make a name for ourselves. What they were doing is they were setting themselves up like gods. So God comes down, and this is what it says. says, He says, he wanted to see the city and the tower and the people were building. Verse 6, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language. This is powerful. If this people, one people, Speaking the same language, have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will, to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they plan to do together will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So what, what happened? There's the curse of the plurality of language right? I mean, there was so many, they couldn't understand one another, and it scattered them abroad. Well, you we look in chapter 2, and what happens? They pour out the Spirit, and all of a sudden, they start speaking in tongues so that everybody from all these different nations who are scattered can understand. And now that they can understand, they're incorporated. No longer are they scattered, but 3,000 people are added into the church on that day. He brought them together. And here's what we know from the Tower of Babel. It was, their, the, it was their ability and the fact that they could understand each other and that they were one people together and anything they do can be accomplished by them. Now, the, today, we've been incorporated and we understand one another so that we can now once again grow in the likeness of God under his authority. So if we're going to grow... We have to be in community. It provides dynamic power to the journey that you are on individually. So with that understanding, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 3 and the text that we read earlier. But, but this is I want to just start with this. When this was written by Luke, he wrote it, Without chapter breaks. And I think we understand that theoretically, but this is where it becomes really important because there were no chapter breaks when he wrote it, there were no verses. And sometimes, because we see the chapter breaks, we think something different is going on than what happened before it. But here, I'm suggesting to you that. In Acts chapter 2, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with all the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to me, and I can read the whole thing. You can read it behind me. But they were together. It's talking about community. Am I right? Now, here's the thing. Then Luke just goes, You know what? On one day, Peter and John were going into the temple at the time of prayer. And what we see is the context. He's like, okay, this is what the community is explicitly, and then let's jump into an example. I'm just going to give you an example of what the church looks like when it's expressed under his power. So we can't separate this story from the context of community. You just can't. And then This is what we see. In verse 2, it says, One day Peter and John, right, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Just the chapter previous, it said they gathered together daily. Where? At the temple. And what did they devote themselves to? to prayer. So then John and Peter are going to the temple at the time of prayer. It's an extension of the community. So there's a corporate, a patterned corporate prayer life. And it was out of the corporate, they're participating faithfully in the active prayer life of the community, and that's it's out of that community that you see the healing of this lame man happen. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that corporate prayer provides the space for divine activity in the earth. And even more so, patterned, patterned, meaning consistent. When we come together where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there. I'm there in the midst of them. I'm doing something different. It's not that God isn't with us when we're individually in our prayer closets. But what he's trying to say is, I'm with you in your prayer closets, but when you get together, there's something you're pulling on different in me. So what we're looking at is we're seeing the first expression or feature of the community of the early church, which is this, that it was a community of corporate prayer. And this isn't just me picking out one little, one little verse and saying, see, we're a corporate community. This is a theme throughout Luke and Acts. There's something about Luke who's he just the doctor, and he focuses on this idea of during prayer, stuff happens. So in Acts chapter 1, you see Jesus... He's there preaching about the kingdom for 40 days. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and, and then they ask him, the disciples ask him, Jesus, are you, are you, are you going to establish your kingdom now? You've been talking about it. And Jesus says, hey, listen, it's not, that's, not what, that's not important for you right now. Just go to Jerusalem. My spirit will be poured out on you. And he gets taken up into heaven. And they're all watching. And I love that because sometimes I think that's a great description for some of our, our lives, you ever hear that saying, we're so, we're so heavenly focused, we're no earthly good? The power of what Jesus did in the incarnation is he brought heaven into earth. We don't have to look up in the sky, which is why an angel shows up, two of them, and they say, why are you looking into the sky? Look, he's, he went up that way, yes, he's going to come back that way. But what you need to do is go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift. So they go to the Jerusalem, they get in an upper room, and then it says this, that they prayed constantly. And while they were praying, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and the church was birthed. Listen, divine activity happens when we gather together and pray in chapter four. What happens after this, my chapter, and I I get it, forgive me Pastor Russ for diving into chapter four a little bit, but what happens is they get put in jail, but then they have to release them and they go and they tell the church about it. Peter and John are going to tell the church about it and they, they all start praying. They're worshiping and then they're praying, God, give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak your word. And you know what happens? It it says that the house was shaken where they were at. And they were all, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Divine activity happens when we pray together. Now, that doesn't mean it always looks like what we want it to look like. You know why? Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. But it doesn't matter if it looks like the way we want it to look like. Because he's our king and our Lord. And that actually means something. That's why we say, I love this, and I've got plenty of time. (laughs) Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, and I have seen people just abuse that up and down. Somehow it's come to me like a magic slot machine. If I just ask for whatever I want, in Jesus' name, there it is. And I, I'm here to tell you this morning that kind of, that kind of framework, that, that thought, is... it's witchcraft. Fundamentally, in the Bible, witchcraft was simply understood as saying words and doing actions that make the God that you're praying to to act the way you want him to. Crazy, right? Just let that spirit of conviction rest for a little bit. Prayer. You know, my father, I'm such, it's such a joy to be here, but my family and I are walking through a very difficult time right now. Uh, my father just retired, and he's a, he's a strong man. He's a, you know, grew up in the country of Alabama, doing all the stuff that, Kids do out there on the farm, you know. You know, which I didn't grow up that way at all, so I have no idea. And my grandfather's always like, <laughs> you know. But um, now here, now here's the thing. He was cutting a tree down on his own. He lives in Columbia now. He's retired three months ago. He's sixty-six at the time. He's now sixty-seven. So over his birthday, but he's thirty standing at the top of a 30-foot extension ladder, leaned up against a tree. And he used to cut trees when he was younger. Like, he'd travel and, and like, part of logging. So he's like, oh, it's fine. I don't have the harness, but I can, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can just go up there and do it. And he wanted to cut the tree halfway down. It was about 60 feet tall. So he was wanting to cut it down. He, He ended up falling, and he broke 22 of 24 ribs. And, you know, Played, you know, double breaks on on his right side, and uh, if you don't know much about it, and, and and I won't go into too much detail here, but if you don't know much about it, um, it, it, that's called flail chest when you start having uh, double breaks and bones in your chest because it has no integrity uh, for them to breathe, and and obviously it's incredibly painful, and so. Um, For someone who's young and healthy, if you have flail chest, which is just three ribs, uh, and my dad broke 22 ribs, uh, the survival rate is about 30%. So it's a very, it's a very, I'm sorry, it's fresh. Um, It's a very dangerous condition. What's unfortunate is that at the age of 60, those numbers double but at the age of 65 it quintuples so when we went in the doctor just said i'm glad you're here now he's looking better but you know you need to be worried this happened on the same day my mom had foot surgery, and she can't walk. So here I am. I, so I've been with her this whole time trying to hold things together. Um, now, now, here's what's amazing. So my mom started to pray, and she's a prayer warrior. Korean people know how to, they just, it's something cultural. Um, I have memories of waking up in the morning, and Koreans sleep together, by the way, back the way back when. I mean, they all, like, families would sleep in one room. And so I remember waking up one morning on the floor, and I looked over, and there she is praying at like 5, 4 in the morning, just weeping, you know, like this, praying and praying. The, the, the Korean people know how to pray. And uh, honestly, I feel convicted about it, just sharing it. I'm like, man, I, I'm a pastor. I should be praying like that, you know. But but here's the thing. She let all her friends know, people started praying. Pastor Russ, the leadership team here started praying corporately. The church, Korean church in Colombia, gathered every morning to pray for my dad. And now today... My dad's about to be released on Tuesday, not from the hospital, from the acute rehabilitation. He had already been released last week. Here's the thing, the doctor, yeah, amen, let's, yeah. What, I mean, how can we not give God praise, okay? So I can't tell you how hard it was as the eldest son trying to take care of everything and chop up that tree that was in my mom's yard because it was a monument to trauma, Every time I look, guys, I can't even, exp- you, many of you know what I'm talking about. You see it, and it's like that trauma's fresh every time. Every time I drove out of that driveway with my mom and I saw that tree, it was like fresh trauma because I saw my dad in a way I've never seen him before. But the community was praying, and divine activity happened. This church. This body that includes all churches, all churches, no matter what the theological divides might be, all churches, no matter what the political divides might be, no matter what the racial divides might be. And I got to tell you, my mom has experienced some pretty rotten stuff in Alabama, but no, it doesn't matter because we are a corporate community. Man, I was I was four years old, and my I went swimming with my all my family in Alabama, and they took us to this lake. And when I say lake, don't think like like Lake Murray. Think like a meandering bog of like just places. Um, And so we had to swim to this beach that was hidden away, you know, the Anderson Beach or whatever, you know. And and uh, and I know that there's a town named after me here, and it's very honoring. But that beach was really important to my family, you know. And that was a joke, but it's okay. Let's move on. So. Um, I, I, I was four years old. I was in the water. This lake kind of went around, and on the far end, there was, a, there was a, a little river that started. So I was four years old. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm not the biggest guy. I get it. It's okay. But I, I was small as a child, and here I am in the water playing with my cousin, Ernie, south. Ernie. And 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 here we're playing, and all of a sudden I get caught in this current, but I think it's fun, so I don't say anything because I'm I'm kind of moonwalking without doing anything. You know, I'm kind of just like just being moved. I'm like, this is sweet, until I get to the mouth of the river where it gets deep and it has an undercurrent and it sucks me to the bottom of the of the thing. And here's have you ever been in those moments where the trauma is so real that years later you can still remember the smallest details like these these things that you just, they never leave you. They'll never leave you. And here I am at the bottom of it and I'll never forget the sunlight filtering through the surface of the water. And I'll, I'll never forget that that feeling of like, life is right there. Even at four years old, you understand. like. So I push off the bottom and I break the surface and, and I just scream for my dad. And, he, and I go back down and I jump and push off. And as a four-year-old, it must have been not that far, right? But it's deep enough to drown. And I jump and I break the surface and I remember seeing my dad dive in the water. And I remember I was still afraid, but it was like all of a sudden, it was like this settling. And I knew he was coming. It was going to be okay. And my dad plucked me right up out of that river. And he's walking up on the store. And he's, you know, he's a stocky, strong guy, which is part of the reason I think he survived. The Lord just used that because he was healthy when he fell from the tree, you know. And, and he takes me in his arms. And I remember the, the other thing I really remember is watching my tears and the water from his back. I had my, like this, and I was watching it go down. And, and here, here's the thing. Yeah, it, it's a precious memory for me because my dad saved me, right? Here's the thing. When he saved me, he didn't save me into isolation. Who was right by him as soon as my dad got me on that beach? My mom. Who was right by my mom? My grandparents. Who were right by my grandparents? My aunts, my uncles, my cousins. They were all there. When he saved me, he saved me into my family. And being together does something. It creates the space for divine activity. You need divine activity in your life Get into a prayer group. I have two more points. They said I could take as much time as I want, but I want to honor your time. But I'm going to take these last two points and just squeeze them in here, okay? You ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Verse 2 says this. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from going into the temple courts. Those people who are going into the temple courts. Now, this is the thing you have to remember. The temple was the source of Israelite identity. It was the place that housed the manifest presence of God. And people every day are going into the courts of worship to worship. It was, and here this lame man is placed at the gate, not in the courts to praise. He's left at the gate. And when Peter and John look at him and they say, hey, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but let me give you what I, let me just give you what I do have. It wasn't just power to walk. It was power to walk. And scripture says, it follows up and it says, when he helped him up and instantly the man's ankles and feet became strong. And it says, followed them. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Listen, the community of God is a place of incorporation for the outcast. The people who are marginalized find a home in this place. They don't have to search further than the front door. This is the nature of this community. It's a place of incorporation. I don't know where you're at. There might be people here today that feel isolated. You can worship with a million people and still feel alone. You might be struggling with situations that you just don't know what to do, like I was. And you're like clinging to Jesus. And you don't know, you know, there's a story of the the blind man who's crying out. And there's a story of Zacchaeus who wants to see Jesus. And you know what's similar between those stories? They couldn't get to him because of the people. And even when the man started to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me, what happened? The disciples turned around and told him to shut up. This is not the place for walls. We should never stand between someone else and the altar we should be picking people up and carrying them there like, like the friends of the invalid who tore open the roof and lowered him into the house where Jesus was. That's who, we're, this is a house of incorporation for those who are. This is why Psalm 68 says this. It says, he sets the lonely where in families. And I think, let's just read it, it says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the cross. How can you not worship a God like this? Worship him, extol him. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling, and he sets the lonely in families. This is what we're seeing in Acts chapter 3. The lonely man is being set in the family, and he's worshiping God with all that he is. The last point, the last feature, verses six through seven. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. I love that. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And here, please pay attention to this. When Jesus looked at the centurion's servant who came on behalf of his master, to bring Jesus so that he could experience healing. Did Jesus go? Actually, the story says that he didn't. He only had to speak a word. So it's interesting to me that here in the name of Jesus, with the power of Jesus, he says walk, but what does he do? He reaches down, takes him by the right hand and he lifts him up. And it isn't until that man is standing, that strength, his legs and ankles and bones are are aligned and strengthened the miracle happens after Peter helps him up the the church is meant to be a place of strength for the weak and I think when we begin to serve one another in action and not word only God's miraculous power is at work in that in ways that we may not always see God wants to work in your life and it's going to happen where? in the community Now God is divine and not everybody has access to community, but we live in a fallen world. But you know what he does do? He's leading us towards the vision and that vision is us together with him. He took him by the hand. He helped him up. He looked him in the face. Guys, he looked him in the face. This man who's on the outside, lame, can't walk for himself. And and he says, he looks at him and then, get this, he looks at him and says, look at me, what does that tell you? That tells you that the lame man wasn't looking at him, he was begging. What does that look like to you? This man who's poverty stricken, in rags. You've driven by homeless people begging, and I just want you to think about that moment. Did you feel that Did you feel that twinge in your heart that, on one hand, I feel like I I want to help, but then on the other hand, I don't want to make eye contact? I mean, can we be real this morning? And there are those moments when someone, you're walking through the park, and the homeless person comes up to you, and you just feel awkward, and you feel anxious to kind of move on. This is what this man experienced every day of his life since birth. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, hey, look at me. Look at me. Church, you don't have to you don't have you don't have to hang your head in shame in this house. This is a house where the weak find strength in their brothers and their sisters. Not in a presentation, but in the word of God active and living through each and every one of us toward one another. You might be in this house this morning and you're facing things you just, you just don't know how you're going to make it. And you're feeling that weak, the weak knees, weak arms. How are you going to pay those bills? My son and daughter, they're, they're prodigals. My mom and dad are in, in the hospital. How are you going to face tomorrow? But I'm telling you here today, there is strength for you. And it's seated next to you, Jesus, in your neighbor. That's the gospel. It's the beautiful gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Galatians chapter six, verse two. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If the band wants to come up, if the, the prayer team, if they want to go ahead and make their way forward, what I would like to do this morning is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for this sermon. I'm going to pray for the points of this sermon in, in your lives. And if you feel like something in this message touched your heart, maybe you don't. Maybe you, maybe you feel fine. Maybe your life is hunky-dory. But you know what? Deep inside, something inside you just sprung up and said, I need that community. I want to invite you, come to the altar and get prayer. Come come be prayed for. If you're alone, come be prayed for. If you're feeling weak, come be prayed for. If you have anything else going on in your life, come be prayed for. This is the flesh of the Word of God today, right now. We're experiencing the Word of God for today. Corporate prayer, together. In unity, loving God and loving one another. So why don't you stand to your feet and I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we just turn our eyes and our hearts to you and we just, we humble ourselves. Oh God, I just pray that the spirit of your love would minister this morning. Holy Spirit, that it's your power to integrate us all into one another and into Christ, would you come and just release that power this morning? If we're not in a group, God, I just pray that we would find a group to be in. If we're not, if we're not praying with, with, with people, I pray, God, just show us how. Show us how to do it. Help us lead the way. And God, those who are hurting, those who need healing, those who need financial help, God, just minister to them right now in Jesus' name. And God, change us, change me that we might reflect the relationship of the Trinity even in who we are on the earth. And I just pray, God, just give us new lenses. So when we walk out of this building, we're just, it's different. It's just different. We see people and we recognize them as either a part of the community or people who are about to be. We give you praise and honor and glory. You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. God, you're our shield. You're our buckler. You're our tower of refuge. You're our provider. God, you are our healer. You are abundant. You're transcendent. God, you're bigger. Everything is contained within you. And yet at the same time, you're near. You're right here next to us. Your hand is on our back and on our shoulder saying you can do it. You can do it today, church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.